0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome all, this is Greg Soden. Thank you so much for joining me. Throughout the years of making podcasts about religion, one of my favorite things to do has been to pick the brains of my colleagues from the classroom to see what their practices are like. What do middle school teachers and high school teachers who discuss religion do to keep curriculum engaging and constitutionally appropriate for our secondary students? How do teachers help students engage with practitioners and experts? How do teachers engage the local? How do teachers frame experiences aimed at religious literacy? This episode features my conversation with Corey Wozniak, a teacher from Las Vegas. In this episode, Corey walks me through his journey into finding a passion for teaching about religion, what it's like to teach about religion in Las Vegas specifically, some of his favorite curriculum activities he does with his students, and the day-to-day life of his career. We also discuss Corey's amazing article, The Buddha at the Bellagio, Teaching Religion in Sin City, which came out in the March 7, 2022 release of The Revealer, my favorite online magazine that explores religion and its many roles in society and people's lives. The Revealer is published 10 times a year and takes on how religion shapes and is shaped by the complexities of culture. This conversation with Corey was an absolute delight. Corey and I have been friends for several years at this point, and it is a real pleasure to chat with him about his work on the podcast. So I really hope that you enjoy it. Thank you so much for joining me. Corey Wozniak, thanks for joining me. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. It is a delight thanks. to have you here, Corey. I'm so happy that you're here. Uh, before we get into you know all kinds of great stuff, I'm just wondering if you can just spend a second and introduce yourself a little bit to the audience, however you see fit. Okay. Um, I am a
1: high school teacher. Mm-hmm. So I've been teaching in the Las Vegas Valley for um, eight years. I uh, started my career here in Las Vegas straight out of college. And i've been here ever since I teach uh, English classes, but um, our conversation today will focus on uh, my religion class my world religions class which I founded at my school um, and i'm having a blast teaching i'm also um, a family man, I have a three young boys that i'm raising here in the valley.
0: Fabulous I think that's everything. (laughs) (laughs) Nice um okay so. What I want to know is how did you come to like care about teaching and find your way into this niche world that you and I kind of inhabit about teaching high school religious studies? Like, tell me about this pathway into education and then how you found your way to where you are today.
1: Yeah, um, you know, it, it's hard to know where to start, you know, but um I think generally i was in college Um, i thought i was going to go to law school and uh i started coaching soccer for for young people and and thought these young people are awesome they're so fun to be around and so i was like no you know i don't want to do that i want to go and be with young people so um I was not studying education, so I got into education through the Teach for America program. Mm-hmm. This is this is back in 2014. Um, they placed me here in Las Vegas, and I've been here ever since. As for uh, teaching religious studies specifically, I teach at a really cool and nimble charter school, and uh, I approached my principal and said, hey, this is a personal interest I have. Um, for reasons X, Y, and Z, I think that we should teach you know, this to our young people to make them well-rounded citizens. And he's like, go for it. So Mm. I, I threw, I threw posters up on the wall and recruited a tiny little class and the rest is history.
0: You know, over the last couple of years, like you and I have like had these like random bursts of texting and then, uh, you know, information sharing and like assignment sharing. And like where I've tried to like gather together some, some curriculum materials and send them your way to give you a couple of ideas, So we've almost been like a mini PLC, sort of like teaching from afar, which has been pretty cool. Um, But like something that I'm like, I'm hazy on is how we got to even chatting in the first place. Like, can you tell me like, like, did you find me or did I find you? Like, how did we get into this? And, you know, I'm, I'm wondering like if what your recollection is of how you and I got to chatting, because it is very fuzzy to me but it feels like it's been going on for a long time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, in fact, I think this is the first time we've spoken uh, Mm -hmm. face to face. Yeah, it is for Um, sure. Yeah. Um, I found you um, on Twitter of all Mm -hmm. places. So this is, um, I'm relentless. (laughs) Yeah. 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 You know, so I'm I'm about to start this, this religions course and I just started following, following all uh, accounts that I could find and, and, as, as you pointed out, this is an incredibly niche little community. And so yeah. I found, I found you immediately, uh, and you were just really responsive. And, um, and so I'm just really grateful for our, for our little friendship. Um, and then you, you turned me on to a couple other teachers who have no idea who I am, but who have become kind of mentors to me because I'm using their resources and following them on Twitter.
0: Nice. Who are you? Uh, who are you super into following? Tell me some of your favorite people. You know um george co has no idea yeah. who i am
1: but again i you know i um frequent his website uh and pirate his stuff and he's um so uh he's been a mentor for me yeah
0: i love it george co episode 90 guest yeah, of, of this podcast um, <laughs> yeah, very good. what a delight what a delight um so hi george if you hear this we are uh both <laughs> fans of you uh doing your work down there in the dc metro area um okay so I want to know about your course. Um, I'm not currently teaching in a classroom. All of my teaching that I do right now is currently 100% online. So my life today compared to like five years ago is extraordinarily different. But I'm still teaching and I'm still doing this work. Um, So I'm curious like how things may have developed for someone like you who is still in the classroom. And I'm wondering if you can like kind of give me an overview of your course, how it's organized, how it's set up, if it's like a year, if it's a semester, tell me about like your, your sort of sequence that you go through in your course. Yeah. So I, um, I am privileged to teach
1: the course all year long. So from Mm. August, from August until June, which is sweet. So yeah, I, I couldn't imagine teaching it in a semester. Um, I, you know. Um, anyway, and then, you know, as I, as I talk about the outline of my course, I guess I should qualify and say that my course is evolving. This is, this is the second year that I've taught the course. And last year when I taught it for the first time, I taught a great portion of that, um, online, uh, to mm-hmm. students through zoom. And so my schedule is different this year and I'm adapting now that I have, um, students in person. So anyway, um, last year I taught, uh, six units. I taught, um, an introductory unit to kind of religion in general, uh, we'll call this unit zero. This is Mm -hmm. where I'm teaching terms like scripture and ritual and so on and so forth. Giving them some vocabulary to come into, um, to the study of other religions. Then we do Hinduism, um, Buddhism. We did, uh, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam that was last year. Um, this year, it, it kind of remains to be seen, but um, I've added Confucianism, Taoism, uh, and uh, Yoruba religion um, to the curriculum. So um, that's been a cool addition too. We'll, we'll see how my pacing is.
0: I think uh, I'm a little cramped for time, but yeah. Um, yeah. Do you do you have a uh, like a course text that all students have? Like, what are you doing for like materials and curriculum? Like, what are you leaning on?
1: My. of unofficial textbook for the course is stephen prothero's god is not one great book I, I, i find it really accessible for for my students they can they can read and understand most of it um which has been great um and then i've leaned pretty heavily on um, some other texts to uh houston smith's uh you know um classic book and then some uh, great courses as well um mm-hmm. which have been re- really useful courses on religious literacy and um they come with really nice little outlines and things um so
0: but uh, I, I the primary textbook is prothero's book How do you get, like, what are you, is there some way that you enjoy kind of breaking down those chapters with students? Because I would, whenever we would do a chapter of that book, um, the students would would read it over the course of a couple of nights. And then we would have just like a gigantic class discussion, um, you know, Socratic, big giant circle in the room, et cetera, et cetera. Are there any ways that you kind of like seek to, you know, tease out some thoughts and reflections on those chapters with the kids?
1: Um, I'm, I'm kind of figuring that out, but um, oftentimes it's, it's me pulling quotations. I actually haven't assigned whole chapters to my students um, at all. Um, but I mean, we use it nearly daily, you know, nice. we'll, 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 yeah, we'll start with a quotation to kind of frame our discussion, our reading of other things and that kind of thing. It's it, um, really, it does a really good job of laying foundations.
0: Cool. Cool. Nice. Um, you know, I'm, I'm curious about how you're doing assessments in your course as well. Uh, I never would, I never did exams or anything like that in my course. Um, We did a variety of other kinds of assignments. And I want to highlight a few of the assignments that you want to discuss for your courses. And I'm curious if there are a few assignments or major projects that you do with students that you're like super proud of. I'm just curious, like what you've got students to make that you have been, you know, really, really stoked about yeah um so i I have given my students a few you know traditional written exams
1: but um, I think the course does lend itself more to other kinds of other kinds of assignments and assessments yeah um, i I really like starting the year this is this is another thing straight from Prothero's book I'm I do not claim you know this is not original <laughs> to me but he has the students uh, invent their own religions nice uh, and and my students, Oh my gosh they just had a ball um some highlights uh, one group made a religion dedicated to Nicki minaj um that was uh, a hit um anyway they, they go through and they invent rituals and holidays and and the whole dang thing yeah and um th- and that really gave them um it was just really useful for them to think about all the different components and categories of what makes religion and um so we do that um we just finished an assignment that i really enjoyed this was uh the the structure is called a a pinwheel discussion and the idea is is that you have um instead of a socratic seminar a circle you have several branches of this pinwheel and each branch uh, is assigned a character or a persona they Mm -hmm. they assume that persona and then they they engage in discussion um, as if they were that character. So we just did a pinwheel discussion in which students were assigned the roles of either the Buddha, Confucius, or Lao Tzu, mm-hmm. and then they they discussed questions um, as if they were those those people. And that was um, fascinating, and I liked it because it had it forced them to bring the the ideas of these thinkers in conversation, literally in conversation with one another, um, because often you know. It's really easy to study religions in, you know, and box them in in their own little siphons, but it's really cool when they can converse with one another about the same ideas.
0: You know, um as a teacher, I walked out of school more days than not like beating myself up about things that weren't going right. And yeah. you know, teaching about religion is an insanely hard uh area to live in, and I'm wondering if you you know are you having any like challenges or stresses or concerns with like your your own work that you're like kind of processing in real time at all like what are some things that you're you know still trying to to kind of hone out and smooth out as as you go through this process yeah so <clears throat> i'm um
1: i think my biggest challenge is that i'm i'm not a religious studies scholar sure um, me too am, i'm yeah i'm i'm an amateur and um and i i try to be really forthcoming with my students about about that fact like hey i'm i'm learning these things along with you, Heck you know what yeah. I mean? the, the 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 unit the unit that i'm teaching today i read a book on last week okay yeah, like yeah. this is real time and um so i try to anyway but this is one of my challenges one of the challenges that um i kind of have been thinking about recently is i have a student in my in my class who um, practices, uh, Santeria mm-hmm. and, uh, and we were, we were doing, um, kind of African traditional diasporic religions and having her in my class, um, was very cool. Um, but also I felt very kind of vulnerable and like, you know, I, I was kind of tentative in the things that I was teaching, um, because, uh, I wanted to do right by her, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, so I, I think that was kind of a unique, uh, challenge for me, but i think the way that i compensate for that is i uh, i tell the students forthright that um you know i don't pretend to an expertise that i don't have but then i i also um am adamant that i'll bring in actual experts uh, mm. to come into my classroom and to speak and um you know um i invite you know or, or i hope you know at the end of the unit when this speaker comes in they can kind of correct some of the yeah. Uh the things that I maybe mistaught or, or misconceptions that I had or that we developed together.
0: Um yeah, like in that's my strategy. Uh, I'm glad to hear that you uh utilize guest speakers. That was one of my favorite things to do is to bring in people from the community into the classroom that students could have direct engagement with people who you know practice certain traditions. Yeah. And it was so important to me to do that because then I would get to model my own learning. Cause I would ask like questions that I actually wanted to know exactly. in real time. Cause yeah. I'm like sitting in the desk with the students right. and I'm like, Oh, Oh, like my hands in the air, <laughs> yeah, like, like, yeah. like a puppy, you know what I mean? Like, Oh my gosh, calling me. Absolutely. And, um, and so I think that that was one of the most influential things I ever did as a teacher for myself, but a lot of times the, you know, that guest speaker thing can be, can go wrong or can be controversial with the community. Yeah, and I'm wondering yeah. about how you go about making sure that your guest speaker, um, appearances, uh, go as well as possible.
1: Um, great question. Um, you know, so I, I guess I have different kinds of guest speakers. So, mm-hmm. um, You know, if I'm oftentimes I'll have uh, academics come in and um, I think they because they teach in university settings and things like that, they know kind of uh, how to speak to a lay audience um, about about religion and and what it means to teach in a public school and things like that. And they they don't really need uh, all that much coaching, Um, but it can it can be a little hairier if you're if you're talking to, um, you know, a a practitioner. of the of the religion and and it gets the that line gets a little blurrier um i've you know most of the time though um we are going to these people's spaces so like mm. we're, we, we we're going to the hindu temple and we're acting as observers and there's um you know as as we sit there and observe uh we as we're guests in their space and i just yeah. tell the students sit back watch absorb all you can write down your questions and um that's worked really well. You know, I cool. haven't run into any real issues.
0: Yeah. Nice. Um, I, I like to see that kind of uh, work being done too by teachers because it engages with the hyper-local. So instead of things being out there far away, hundreds or thousands of miles away, it's right in front of you with an actual tangible experience. And I want to talk about Vegas because where you live, Vegas, Sin City. Hey, yes, sir. Um, I was delighted delighted that an article came out written by you in maybe my favorite publication in, in religious studies, the revealer. (laughs) I love the revealer. I read it all the time. And I think that Dr. Brett, I think that Brett crutch does an amazing job with the revealer and the podcast over there. Um, and so this was fabulous to me. So you have a new piece called the Buddha at the Bellagio teaching religion in sin, sin city, which came out March 7th, 2022. And I want to know what instigated the writing process of this, uh, how this idea came to be about, tell me about your foray into writing about your job.
1: Yeah. Um, so um it started where did it start so i'm not originally from las vegas i grew up Mm. in uh, southern california um i did school uh at byu in utah and so i drove through vegas a lot um i didn't i didn't spend a lot of time in vegas but um vegas for me (laughs) <laughs> represented something <laughs> um you know so i had i had ideas about what vegas was yeah it's loaded it, it's a loaded idea yeah and so vegas was sin city um vegas was sodom and gomorrah okay mm-hmm. vegas was like billboards that um you know i should avert my eyes from um you know um that that's what that's what las vegas was to me and then i moved here um, I was actually assigned to Las Vegas by Teach for America mm-hmm. and, and I came here and, um, my perspective on, on the city, uh, changed, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so, um, that's, th- this is kind of where it's, where it started. Um, yeah. you know, I, I was fascinated by this kind of the aura of Las Vegas as sin city and, and the reputation that it had for itself. And then all these, um, you know, pockets of genuine religious practice and religious iconography and kind of surprising places. I, I start my piece talking about how the Buddha is on billboards everywhere around the city yeah. for uh, for the Tao nightclub, and so that's that's really where it started. Um, is I would see these Buddha statues everywhere um, on billboards, and and I noticed that there's a big you know, a Hindu shrine, right, right by Caesar's casino downtown. And I'm like, what is going on here? Mm. This this kind of juxtaposition be- between, you know, the secular and the sacred and really it just
0: was shocking to me. And uh, I wanted to explore that. Uh, did you, did you start noticing these these statues and stuff like that, like after you got your job teaching religious studies, like did your view of the city kind of shift, uh, as you got further into this interest of teaching about religion in schools, is that kind of where it all clicked into place?
1: Yeah. Um, I don't think it was until I lived here, um, myself that I began to, uh, to notice religion everywhere.
0: Mm. Nice. It's, uh, you know, I was listening to the, um, I don't know if you listen to the Keeping It 101, a Killjoy's Introduction to Religion podcast with Elise Morgenstein first and Megan Goodwin, but it's amazing. And they did a recent episode about Buddhism where they talk about those like garden planters where like the top of the Buddha's head is like removed and there's like a plant coming out of the top of yeah. his head. Fascinating. And so, you know, they were they were talking a lot about that. And so I was making some connection between that kind of stuff, and then your article and the way that the Buddha is used and sort of incorporated into all these different purposes, um, often as entertainment or for decoration. And mm-hmm. the people who are engaging with this stuff aren't really aware of any of these teachings mm-hmm. at all um, that you know are important about Buddhism in general. but um, so that's kind of like where where my brain was is like seeing the ways that different places and people um, use the imagery of the Buddha in ways that are, you know, variously like a decapitating in one. And then also on billboards, trying to sell people stuff or having like a nightclub experience with another. So that's where my brain was going with this. And I mean, that's, that's kind of wild. And I'm wondering if you can just like, um, tell me like some other stuff that you see when you're going around town, like what else do you notice whenever you're, whenever you're there, I want to go on like a, a tour, if you will. Like if I was there, where would you take me to show me, uh, all this stuff.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, in my article, I talk about the, the Dow nightclub as like kind of the perfect example of, mm-hmm. of what you're just, de- what, what you're describing. I mean, it's not just the Buddha. They do have a Buddha. In fact, they have a ginormous Buddha. Yeah. It's some 20 feet tall or something as a kind of centerpiece in their, in their, um, nightclub, but they also have other, uh, deities from, hinduism um from Jain religion and things like that and they they often use these statues in their promotional materials and it's kind of shocking because you have these um dancers um you know in risque outfits uh posing you know on the laps of these statues wild it really it really is and um you know um it, it it's really shocking and um that that they post these things on their Facebook promotional materials and things like that. And I I think about, you know, I'm a Christian and I think about the outrage that would ensue if similar pictures were done with, you know, a statue of, of, of Jesus.
0: I often Um, think about that as well. Like what if Jesus was like, almost like uses like almost like a mascot for a sports team and things like that. And I'm just like, okay, you know, whenever you like replace something for something else, like what would the result of that be? I think about this kind of stuff all the time. This is what a nightmare my brain is. (laughs) So, you know, and it's interesting
1: because Dow got some pushback
0: Um, in this, this
1: group of religious leaders came together and said, uh, this is inappropriate, but then, you know, they, they, made some concessions they removed some statues but not others it's kind of i I don't really understand why you know they removed some and not others um but it's it's pretty clear that this the statuary the the icons the religious elements are not kind of incidental Mm -hmm. but central central to their marketing campaign because um you know they they can't they can't remove all the statues without losing a considerable kind of part of their of their branding of their messaging. Yeah,
0: yeah and you say they would have uh, to, they would be so expensive to rebrand if they took everything out. And I mean, so it's all about the dollars and cents here in my mind.
1: Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Um, the Dow just opened up. Uh, they just renovated their like rooftop pool, and uh, was not surprised to see that they have uh, a couple more icons up at the top. So, um,
0: do anyways, you just I, like? I would- do you just like go through there every once in a while? And be like, I wonder what Dow's doing, and like you like pop into the club like on your way home from work or something, just to like scope out to see if they've changed anything around. Okay, so confession, um, <laughs> I I am um
1: not a club hopper, not in the least, mm-hmm. not in the least. But I not a, find nor am I. Yeah, but I find um, I just I do find the culture kind of uh just interesting. To to go back to your original question, you know, you said where would I go? Yeah, and I think. You know it's it's i could point to particular locations um like like dao or uh as i said like the statue of um, the the hindu statue next to caesar's there are interesting locations where this juxtaposition is very obvious and interesting however yeah what what i would say is that it's more than that it's more than like religious particular locations it's the entire um kind of mindset it's it's the the spirit of las vegas that I think is kind of religious, top to bottom. Mm. <laughs> it's, um, you know, it's this idea, this kind of worship of fortune and chance. Um, it's this the the seeking of alternative forms of consciousness, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's EDC, the Electric Daisy Carnival, that happens every year in the springtime, which to me is just um, overtly religious, uh, both in the effects that it, you know, it offers people, um, what people get out of it, but also in the imagery and things like that. It's, um, but it's, again, it's more than like particular locations and more a mindset, like people come to Las Vegas for religious
0: experiences. Mm, amazing. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I agree because you go there and like all of sudden, like a lot of people are just like drinking and seeking other forms of consciousness. So there's a lot of that that's going on. Like there's different pathways into different kinds of experiences. Um, so that makes a lot of sense to me. And, you know, you, a lot of people like they, they kind of go off of like standard time as well, because things are open so long. So you're Absolutely. like, well, you know, in yeah, fact, you're living uh... different.
1: You know, most most of the casinos, I some people know this, but most of the casinos do not have any clocks uh in in them at all. Yeah. Because they're they're literally trying to suspend time. Yeah. You know. Um, and it's you know, it it really is fascinating. It it becomes this kind of um I don't know, it's it's timeless, it's
0: um it's removed, you know, from the mundane. And yeah, uh, yeah. I love it. Um, There's a term in your in your article that I was not that I don't think I've ever read before. um, Theophany, Um, and I'm wondering if you can like tell me about this term and like your understanding of it in Vegas and how you or other visitors could come to see this. I was trying. I was wrapping my brain around this term in the piece.
1: So um, theophany to me means a revelatory encounter, a vision. of of god mm. um, or of, of a divine um figure and um you know this is this is the the the, the climax this is the end goal for mm-hmm. for a lot of religious practice and um in my piece i talk about how las vegas offers a kind of theophany because it offers face to face encounters with a list celebrities um who act the part um of of god or goddesses for many uh rabid fans yeah um and so i, I talk about for example the worship of uh, Britney spears who was on the strip for uh several years um her fans for for many years nicknamed her uh the holy spears it nice. or uh or or godney you know yeah yeah and um And I, you know, I just, I find that really, um, fascinating. Um, I teach, you know, as I've said, I teach high schoolers and I've seen that with my students there, Mm -hmm. there is a kind of, um, you know, they call themselves fandoms, um, and these
0: fandoms have a lot in common
1: with, with religions. Yeah. Um, yeah yeah
0: yeah there's a a book that i featured once on this podcast uh called punk rock is my religion uh which is a book that came out on rutledge a couple years back but it was all about like almost like the spirituality of like being in a small club with a punk band on stage and like having everybody in the room like in unison like with the mosh pit and like the Mm -hmm. pumping of the fists back to the singer and stuff like that um so i get it i i understand exactly where you're going with that um you know, something else I'm curious about is your experiences with like the little chapels all over Vegas that are like so well known for like marriage. Tell me a little bit about your what you found out when you were digging into that little chapel scene. Yeah, it's it's
1: interesting. Um, you know, your listeners might have um, heard or read that one of the Kardashian uh, were married but not married to travis barker this yeah this weekend uh in a las vegas chapel um and you know this is this is i think a really good example because um they were uh, apparently married but they did not have a license so it both was but was not a, a marriage okay so they 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 went through the forms of marriage but as far as um, it's not a legal binding marriage at this point, and I think that's a kind of good example, you know, these chapels, um, it seems like a lot of the marriages that happen inside them are um, kind of tongue-in-cheek, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, but but they, um, nevertheless, they happen, and this industry is huge. It's huge for Las Vegas. Um, you know, I don't have a number on me, but... Um, it was I love
0: surprising.
1: it. Yeah, it surprising, yeah, really surprising.
0: Yeah, I love it. Um, you know, I'm I'm just wondering if there's anything else about the article that you like were interested in sharing, like uh challenges of putting it together, or um, you know, what it was like to to get this piece about your hometown um, published, and anything that you are feeling excited about that you wanted to share for the listeners.
1: One of the the things that I talk about in the article is um, my students rather heterodox religious beliefs. I talk about um their, you know, the ways that they combine and syncretize different religious practices into um, you know, wholly unique and personal uh spiritualities. And so my student I talk about how my students are Catholic but also use crystals and tarot cards and things like that. And I'm I'm thinking through um kind of what this means uh for for Gen Z. Yeah and um you know, the, I I don't I don't pose all that many answers. I'm I'm j- making observations and kind of painting some profiles of my of my students. Um, but it, it is interesting. It seems to me that Gen Z is more eclectic in um, how they practice religion, and they seem, um, from my perspective, to be a little less concerned with or- orthodoxies and with creeds, and and they kind of have this. I say in the article. Um, they, they take the position of buffet believers Yeah, in, here in Las Vegas, where the city of buffets, they yeah, just kind yeah. of go and they sample, um, practices and, and, and things from all these different religions. And they like that, um, yeah. this, you know, and so I, I'm, I continue
0: to find that fascinating as I teach these young, uh,
1: spiritual explorers.
0: I love that. And that resonates with me a lot too. Um, and kind of, you know, echoes a little bit about my experiences that went from like 2012 to 2018 in my classes. And that was one of the most inspiring things is how much students liked to see what other traditions have to offer, because they're like, what if I feel like incorporating something into my life? And like, they seem just so cool and like, um, like sponges, like they just yeah. wanted to know. And it was just an endless source of fascination and curiosity Um, and I just, you know, I love that kind of work. Uh, I'm wondering what, what you're reading or pursuing or studying to continue to, you know, push your own understanding and knowledge within this content area, because I know that you're still growing, um, as a learner, right alongside your students. And I'm wondering if there's anything that you're really excited about lately that has, you know, helped you a lot. Uh, yeah, um, yeah.
1: The thing I'm most excited about is this summer, I'll be attending a three-week institute at the uh, Union Theological Seminary. This is through the uh, National Endowment for Humanities. They, they bring teachers in for three weeks. And the seminar is called Lived Religions in New York City. Amazing. I am so thrilled. So I think the idea is, is that we're going to see how religion is practiced by real people and kind of show that religion is more than musty texts and and stuff like that, that these are um, embodied um, things that are that are practiced in real communities and i'm i'm thrilled about that because I think thus far in my classroom I tend to emphasize mm-hmm. doctrines and beliefs and scriptures and things because those are easy to communicate um and because all you know m- much of my knowledge of these religions is Secondhand and bookish, yeah. So I'm really, I'm really excited to go and watch these things happen and bring some things back to my classroom.
0: You know, I went to uh, New York City a few years ago um, for a concert at Madison Square Garden, and I was thinking about the podcast and all the books and stuff like that that I've read and the people that I've talked to. And there are, there's so much in relation to New York City. Um, I went to that uh, Hari Krishna tree in Tompkins Square Park. On the Lower East Side, um, I went to the first Zen Institute, which was founded by um, uh, Alan Watts's um, mother-in-law. Uh, is that right? And and her husband, so Sokeon Sasaki Roshi, and his wife um, Ruth Fuller Sasaki. Who Ruth Fuller Sasaki is Alan Watts's mother-in-law, but they founded the first Zen Institute in the United States. And it's in New York City right there in Manhattan. And so I was like standing out in front of this building and I was like, wow, this is amazing. And then that tree, the Hare Krishna tree in Thompson Square Park, I was like, this is so cool just to think about all the ways that New York City has important spots. So I'm hoping that that you get uh, some of those amazing experiences as well at that institute. And definitely tell me uh, how it is because maybe I'll apply for it in the future as yeah, well. Yeah, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled. That's awesome. Well, Corey, um, where can people connect with you if they uh, want to know more and follow along with with your journey? Uh, you know, <laughs>
1: I don't have much of a presence online. I have a conflicted relationship with Twitter and things. Yeah. You, they, can, they can email me. They can find me on Facebook. Nice. Um, but unfortunately,
0: I have a pretty small digital footprint. All good. Um, well, Corey Wozniak, I have love this chat i hope that people will go to the revealer and check out your piece the buddha at the bellagio teaching religion in sin city in the march 7th 2022 release of the revealer Corey, thank you so much for joining me it's been a real pleasure
1: oh my gosh i'm so grateful thank you greg for everything